Hello and welcome to the second episode of Writing Wrongs. Today we're going to be talking about the Chosen One archetype and how it appears in modern literature, uh, more specifically movies. We're going to be focusing on the prophecy Chosen One as well as a more literal meaning. For Writing Wrongs, I'm Tyler Conover. With Marcus McLean. And Quentin Wells. Let's get started with a look at what a Chosen One really is. that the chosen one trope springs up from a kind of wish fulfillment for people. They want, um, you have traditionally chosen ones are everyday people or ordinary things that just have powers or something sprung on them. So it kind of gives you this hope that it could happen to anyone at any time. It lets people kind of indulge in this fantasy that ordinary life can change in an instant. And on a minor scale it can. I don't want it to sound a bit too dark or depressing, but it... It creates this feeling of, like, you know, any moment, there's no deadline for it. Any moment something can happen that could change everything. And, yeah, the Chosen One thing is a really old trope. It's in uh, writing as far back as people have been writing. And it fits really well into the, the, senior, or the, yeah, the senior English format you learn about of the hero's journey that everybody, or most people, I'm sure, picked up in high school. Like, oh, there's one person who has to go do one thing, and it's... The, the story that fits all the all the media because it's just easy to write yeah. there's if there's a chosen one you're like this person is what I want to be the, the thing accomplishing my goals and also uh, when it comes to the chosen one trope um, one of the biggest things that makes people fall in love with it is um, just the expectation of the actual chosen one living up to the prophecy that they're supposed to fulfill um, makes sure, just having them validate what it is that their um, their goal is and the prophecy that they've uh, accepted is um, it just makes it a fan favorite. So the chosen one, the chosen one type that we want to talk about first is the prophecy type, and that's where you essentially tell the audience the fate of a character very early on. Uh, this was seen in a lot of the earlier writings with like Romeo and Juliet. The first line of that play is Shakespeare telling the audience that they will die. And you have them this set in stone thing, and in modern versions, it's been kind of changed to be less straightforward, more ambiguous. So sometimes it's a religious prophecy, sometimes it's a magical prophecy, or different things like that. Uh, but it also they've become a lot more ambiguous with the wording, uh, since I think it's because of a lot of modern movies taking a more positive trope. There's always the happy ending in most things like that, where Romeo and Juliet didn't have that. It kind of played to the uh, expectation. So you told the audience this was going to end poorly, but then they didn't really even believe you until the end, because they're used to that happy ending, even then. But now, people kind of expect happy endings even more so. So when you tell them this thing is going to happen, you have to be very vague with how you describe it. Otherwise, you completely give away the story without your audience actually getting to experience it. And you can't, I don't think you can talk about prophesied, or uh, prophesied, or however you're supposed to say that word, chosen ones, without talking about, you know, Star Wars with Anakin Skywalker. Yeah. And, like, you know, he starts out, like, from the very beginning, oh, they find this kid, he is the chosen one. He has to be. He's going to bring balance to the Force, because he's the only one that can do that. Okay. It's really, it's, that fits into yeah. the um, ambiguous wording, because they yeah, say like right. he's going to bring balance to the Force, but they never really tell you what that means mm -hmm. or how he's going to accomplish that. They just say 
this kid's going to bring balance to the force. And even earlier on, um, when he was first being tested, they told him like he would he would never be a Jedi. Mm -hmm. So even that was kind of in a prophecy of itself. Spoilers, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> uh, they told him like you know if he if he did become a Jedi, he was too prone to turning to the dark side. He had too much anger in him from his life of abuse as a slave, and. You know, they, they tell you this this won't work, but then um, Obi-Wan? Yeah. Obi-Wan basically trains them anyways, so they become kind of the audience there. Like, we don't believe this council of whatever. We don't believe that prophecy. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then it turns out, you know, he, he really couldn't be a Jedi, and he brought balance to the Force in a very unexpected way. And that, the bringing balance thing, you have to be really careful, I think, when you're writing into this trope of a chosen one, because... If you're not careful, it can get really predictable and really almost boring. Because right. for the first like two, like yeah, first two movies of the or movies one and two, not the original two, movies one and two of the Star Wars series, and then like the first half of the third one, you're like, oh, Anakin is gonna be a good guy and he's gonna stop the Sith and everything's gonna be great. And it's kind of like okay, you know, this is fun to watch, but it's kind of boring as I'm getting through the movie because you know it's. Just a good guy, you know, win like they always do kind of thing. And then it's not interesting until the end of the third movie when he doesn't bring balance to the Force like everyone said he was going to. Instead, he just kills, like, all the Jedi. Right, and that's the thing. It kind of it gives it a more impactful change. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's not just, you know, oh, a character turned evil. It's a character we have been told that is going to fix everything all of a sudden has caused more of a problem and it kind of creates um, a more shocking scene for the audience even though it had kind of a slow build up he did it wasn't just a foot switch yeah. it was it was a slow build up where we actually saw him kind of turning um, but it really broke the predictability and then in kind of um, it set up the next movies too when Luke came in yeah then kind of went oh okay so the prophecy was about him so he's gonna do all these things and he's gonna restore balance to the force and then they switched that up again <laughs> by having Vader do yeah, it. yeah and it's back to Anakin and it oh, it just took twenty years of it him took a not while, quite doing there, yeah. the prophecy right. I think that's one of the biggest things and when it comes to the prophecy is um in good writing and good writing writing on the prophecy I think playing on the belief of what actually is going to happen like you told me this is going to happen but when when the writing is uh playing on that and maybe not really giving you the direction that you think you're going to go, that's when uh, things maybe get a little more interesting. Yeah. Moving, uh, I know we just went modern, going the other way, uh, talking about uh, King Arthur. And he is, in it, he is a chosen one, and he was probably one of the earliest examples of the chosen one, but his was much more literal. Um, his prophecy wasn't so much a prophecy, it was much of the lady in the lake giving him the sword. So it becomes this like literal picked example of a chosen one. You are picked by a god or a teacher or something like that who says you're going to do it. Um, and for the modern things we saw that in the Hunger Games when it was literally a lottery to see who got picked. And you know to some extent uh, Katniss in the Hunger Games, she's not exactly the chosen by the lottery one because you know she volunteers instead of her sister but she's still in the effect like the chosen tribute so she is the one but she's not a chosen one through the hunger games part when she's actually in the in the games 
trying to survive, she's not necessarily a chosen one there. Because that's just a thing that happens. Like, that happens all the time. There's always people in the Hunger Games, and then someone wins. But she's not a chosen one until she rebels against whoever does the Hunger Games. It's been a while the since I've... She, yeah, becomes, the she becomes the, the Mockingjay for the capital. Yeah. Like so the rebellion's this. like, you are our chosen one. And she's like, okay. That's <laughs> <laughs> how it goes, I think, anyway. Yeah, and that's... Um, like with the King Arthur example, he was chosen by the Lady in the Lake, who was this divine being, and it was just understood that because she picked him, it was going to happen. It was the right thing to do. With Katniss in the Hunger Games, they actually touch a lot on, you know, we have this 15 or 16-year-old girl or whatever leading a civil war. Did we mess up? Right? So, like, she is literally yeah. chosen, but you have this questionability. Like, is did we choose right? You have the, the person doing the choosing is, is another human, very much capable of making errors, of making mistakes. And you kind of see... Um, the more human side to that, where it's not... Like, you tell your audience she's the chosen one, but then you make them question if she truly is along the way. So you have, like, in, in the King Arthur version, you have, he's the chosen one, he's going to do everything, and then he does everything pretty much without problem because he was chosen by the gods or the divine thing or whatever. Or the lady in the lake. Like, like <laughs> this infallible thing that can't make mistakes. So anything he did, you knew he was going to succeed at because... That's what he was told to do. That's what he did and everything he conquered while Katniss had mental breakdowns because she was, again, you know, a teenage girl freaking in the middle of a war. So she yeah. made mistakes that got people killed that really, like, messed up her psyche and that caused a lot of problems. So even though they're literally chosen, you still don't know if it's the right choice. I think another example in um, writing for the prophecy or the chosen one is um the movie Bright? Um, it was a Netflix original, um, starring uh, Will Smith. Um, him, his character was a uh, Daryl. What was his last Daryl name? Ward. Daryl Ward and uh, Will Smith's character. Yeah, and uh, he was a uh, his partner in crime was a uh, Nick Jacoby. Um, throughout the movie, you never really knew which of the two were gonna um actually be the the actual chosen one. Um, you knew it would be one of the two because they were the main two characters, but. In this, in this film, the um, the unknown of the uh, prophecy kind of um, it kind of relinquished those uh, expectations, and uh, it just kind of gave a different feel throughout the entire film. Yeah, I feel like that can really play a part in how a character acts and reacts to situations. Because if a character knows they're the chosen one, even if the audience even if the audience knows and the character doesn't, it can change how they act. If they know they're the chosen one, they're right. expected to do this thing, and you can have kind of uh, Tropes like even Avatar The Last Airbender where his goal becomes to fight the Fire King because, or the Fire Lord, sorry, mm -hmm. because you gotta. Like, it was never really explained why we were using child soldiers. It was just the prophecy because he was expected to. But you have Daryl Ward here who acts heroic, who acts like a chosen one, not because of it's expected of him, because that's just how the character is. Right. And they even kind of play into taking it back to, like like you said, as audiences, we know it's going to be either Daryl or his sidekick or someone within right. the plot relevant. Uh, I thought it might have been his daughter for a couple of times, but uh, it teases him with the idea of his partner actually right. being the chosen one because um, he's like, he's one of the magical races. He was an orc. What they right. called him yeah, he was an orc. He was an orc. So he's one of the magical races and the chosen one was a magical thing. Uh, so it teased him with kind of that back and forth there. And 
it kind of made it more impactful when you learn that he is for sure the chosen one. Because not only do you see that he fit the role not because he was expected to, because that's just the kind of person he is. Right. But you also get to see kind of a personal version of him where he's blowing off work or things like that because yeah. it's just more humanizing. I also think, though, one of the things that um, plays really well into it is as the story progresses and, and it comes more clear who the actual chosen one is, as you get to the end, they have to accept that role and uh, actually fulfill um, everything that's coming to them. Yeah, and they even uh, there was a scene where he had uh, some of his cop buddies or other cops were uh, yeah. basically betraying him for the item and he really had to uh, kind of step out. It's when he stopped becoming, you know, just another cop. It stopped becoming right. just his job, and he became more fighting for what was right for right, the, the prophecy. Good, yeah. Right. He started filling in what you would expect of a prolific uh, character. Right. Uh, he wasn't. He wasn't just a cop doing his job. He had to like make some really hard decisions with like attacking his own friends and things like that. And it really made a, a well a more well rounded character than if we were just told, you know. Here's the main character. He's gonna fix everything because that's what main characters do. Right, and also some of the uh, some of the uh, other cops that were um, stationed with him, they um, they kind of um, displayed their own their own true colors as well, and kind of um, distinguished distinguished Will's character for him because they just kind of turned on him um, when it when it came to time to make a real decision. Yeah, and it is an interesting seeing a, a more modernized version of that because in that, you know, they, it is a fantasy world, but it's modernized. They right. have, you know, guns and things like that. And you kind of see, um, you see that trope taken into a more modern settings and it makes it kind of interesting, especially with like in the news, all like the cop crime and things like that, like right. cop violence. It, I don't want to get into politics there, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's an interesting take on it. Um, but it shows a lot more about the character in a, in a more modern setting that thinks that I think makes it feel more close to home. Right. Well, all right, guys, that wraps up our uh, second episode of uh, Writing Wrongs here today. Yeah, I mean that, that's all the time we got. Uh, you know, be sure to join us next time. We have more tropes to talk about. Tyler, I think you wanted to talk about the uh, crouching moron, hidden badass kind of trope. Yeah, it's one of my uh, favorite tropes, honestly, and it's uh, been showing up less, I think, in modern ones, but it's very popular in a lot of uh, old school animes. So I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. So thank you for listening and making our podcast your chosen one. Join us next time. Oh, you know, man, you know, man, you know, man.